You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. So, from the wild is a show that I'm involved with, just strictly as on air talent. Um, my friend Kevin owns and owns the show and and does a great job with that show. And I think we're in our eighth season. So I've been involved with it from the beginning, as far as just you know doing hunting and fishing stuff on screen. Mm-hmm. But lately, that's evolved into doing more uh, camera work while I'm on location. You know, I remember my dad, I was whatever, 18, 20 or something like that. Dad asked if I wanted to farm and I was like, gosh, no, like no way. I was so done with farming. It was such a chore. And No, not interested. And then went, uh, you know, off to the big city and did my thing and was working in ivory towers and wearing expensive suits and, you know, got married and had kids. And then all of a sudden it just sort of crept up on me. Like, what am I doing? Like, you know, I just missed farming so much. So Mm. That was a tough thing to do. That was my wife, Cindy, was on board with all of my stupid decisions. And, you know, we did without money for a lot of years. And uh, but, you know, we just raised our kids the best way we knew how. We gave them every opportunity to do the things that they wanted. And we made the switch. And slowly we we experimented, Mark, with (laughs) different things like pastured poultry and pigs. And because we had property west of the city i was we were right in the middle of the bow hunt, the bow zone that surrounds edmonton uh, okay you know prime whitetail habitat and i was doing a lot of whitetail hunting don thomas had come up hunting with me a few times and and so anyways and i was outfitting at the time and now we're doing it full time we've been doing that 11 years we've been doing this now where we're farming well we're not even farming really we're milling our grains into flour products and so farming mm-hmm. is actually a very small um part of my day now so but we farm the grains we harvest the grains and we mill the grains and then we sell the grains uh, direct to consumer welcome to the fly fishing 97 podcast featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry we focus on guides conservation resort managers gear and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers the fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the fly crate Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Really stoked you are joining us this time around. And we've got a, something special for you today. We're going to head out to Alberta, Canada. We've got John Schneider from Food A Field podcast. Now, John is just uh, north of Edmonton, Alberta. He, uh, well, he's got uh, a bit of a history here. He's part of award-winning series From the Wild, which was on uh, Wild TV and Vimeo. He's been bow hunting for more than 40 years, spent uh, more than a decade guiding, outfitting, bow hunting, and fly fishing uh, through Alberta, where he actually, we'll get into this, he grows, mills, and harvests heirloom varieties of wheat and other grain with his wife, Cindy. Uh, he's a fly tire, a rod builder, a uh, traditional bow hunter. So his, his podcast actually is about traditional bow hunting, fly fishing, foraging, and cooking. So I know we can go down a lot of rabbit holes <laughs> on this one. John, thanks for coming on the podcast. 
Oh, well, thank you for having me, Mark. And yeah, I've been excitedly nervous about this to meet you and talk with you. So thank you. Yeah, my, my pleasure. And, and, and me as well. I'm, I'm stoked to chat. So um, I, as you know, this is a fly-centric, fly-fishing-centric show, but um, we yeah. talk about hunting, we talk about farming, we talk about cooking, we'll talk about uh, all of the above. But for, first, I want to kind of get a feel for where you got your passion for the water. So how did you come to discover fly fishing? Oh man, um, how I, well, let's start even earlier than that with just fishing in general. When I was a kid growing up on the farm north of Edmonton, we didn't have a whole lot of, well, this is going to sound strange. I, as in my family group, we didn't have a lot of um, uh, opportunities to go fishing. My dad didn't fish, none of my uncles or grandfather fished. Like I was just all alone. But for some reason, I was just so geeked out about fishing and fish and hunting. Um, I don't know where it comes from. Um, <laughs> But I, it, I was completely on my own in that regard. And I was so psycho about it, Mark, that I would go and fish. If I remember one time there was a dugout north of our farm and there was a rumor amongst me and my friend that there was a trout skeleton that some dog had drugged up to somebody's farmyard. And so we went and fished that. Um, I got sunstroke that day because we went and fished this little dugout because we thought there might be trout in it. And uh, <laughs> of course there wasn't. And so that was, that's where I started. And then, um, you know, so as I got older, opportunities began to present themselves. My dad made uh, chances for me to go fishing when we would go traveling throughout BC or wherever. He would always stop at a campground that, uh, you know, was near a stream or a creek or something like that. Of course, I I didn't have any clue what I was doing. But yeah, so had some just self-motivated in every respect there. Yeah. And then... Yeah, and then fly fishing is a different story. That was much later. I can totally relate to that. Nobody in my family fished at all. I just, I, I, oh, I, just, I had to do it. And it's like I yeah. would be dragging mom and dad out. I'd be dragging my aunt out. I'd take my brother. Anybody that would even just entertain the slightest bit of getting near the water, I was all over it. But Yeah, that's funny how where that comes from, eh? Because I was the same way. Yeah. yeah, it is. And I, well, I think it's a pretty primitive thing, you know, the hunting, fishing, gathering, and, and we could talk all about that um, and, and what your podcast is all about. But um, yeah, so if you had to pinpoint um, maybe a couple of people that have kind of brought you along in the fly fishing world, because I know you were guiding um, at some yeah. point, who, who would you cite as yeah. influences in your fly fishing when you kind of switch gears up a bit there? Well, Again, this is going to embarrass myself a little bit, but there was one person in my life who completely took over my fishing world. So when I first went up uh, guiding in the Northwest Territories, I went up as a spin fisherman. And of course, that's the vast majority of what people were doing up there in the early 90s. Fly fishing was kind of, it was kind of weird. It I, you know, obviously the nineties isn't the infancy of fly fishing, but it was up there to a certain extent. Mm. Um, and so there was an old guide there. He was in his seventies when I was there and he had been going to, and I can say the name I was, um, guiding at frontier fishing lodge, which still exists today. And, um, but Charlie was up there and the embarrassing part is I don't know that I ever knew his last name or if I did, I've, it's completely slipped my mind. Of course, he's long gone now. He was from Utah. Um, he was a professor, I believe, and he was re- quite uh, heavily involved with fly fishing. And so as a young uh, man, uh, you know, up in the territories, I just was immediately 
intrigued by what he was doing fly fishing for all of these different species that that inhabit those waters in the far north hmm. and um it that was he's the one person i mean since then i have just been i don't you know i still ice fish a little bit but only because where we live you know there aren't many opportunities for fly fishing i could go down to the bow but i could get into that later there's you know there's no opportunity for a food outcome uh, down right. there so i don't really spend a lot of time on those waters right um so yeah he was the guy charlie was the guy and um, well, if yeah. anybody out there knows him or knows of him he, you know he was my mentor we're gonna figure this out because i got a lot of listeners in utah so if, oh, good. if yeah, maybe describe charlie so if you if you're listening to this podcast and you know of charlie maybe shoot me a dm and we can uh we can get back to uh, to John and tell him hey, uh, Charlie's last name was. Yeah, that would be amazing because he was, uh, like I said, he was my mentor. He was the, we would, you know, Lou was also up there. Uh, again, I've forgotten his name. I mean, we're talking, you know, 30 years ago now. Um, yeah. And uh, Lou and Charlie were both from, I believe, Salt Lake City. And um, they had been going up, like I said, they'd been visiting that fishing lodge as guests going back into the 50s and then hmm. in their retirement years they spent the whole summer up at the lodge guiding and uh, me as a young man you know really looked up to those guys for sure you know it's funny that's kind of why one of the reasons i started this podcast because i've been influenced influenced by a lot of um i don't want to say old timers but people over the years you go back and 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 they're not around anymore so i know you, you and i can capture this on our program so it's like there's a recording of it and for me i kind of get excited about that well, and it was interesting. The other thing that sort of um, evolved with me up there was this scarcity of materials. So I, I, the second, so of course, when I went up there the first year, I didn't have any fly fishing gear and I almost bankrupt myself that off season buying, you know, Orvis rods and reels. Like I, I <laughs> kind of geeked out on it hard, right? Where I just wanted right. good quality equipment and, and I bought a fly tying vice that I still use to this day. And it's a, it's a POS and, but I, it's still my fly tying vice. And, um, and then I got hooked on fly tying while I was up there, but there was no fly tying materials. It's not like you go to the store and we were in Lutzoke, uh, Northwest territories. Oh, wow. And, um, this was a fly in village and yeah. we weren't right in the village. We were across the bay from the village. But anyways, my point is that you could not just get fly tying materials. So I would go around scavenging, you know, raven feathers that had fallen from ravens, you know, that were laying around here and there on the beaches. And hmm. we had a lot of um, bald eagles up there that and, and other birds. So, of course, they would leave feathers laying around here and there. I'd pick feathers. But then the, the, the key, my claim to fame with fly tying is, to my knowledge, I, I invented the caribou caddis. <laughs> okay. Of course, I'm, I'm joking, but there was... Um, my cabin was right on the Stark River. And if you look yeah. it up, you can see that the Stark River only runs about a mile, mile and a half between Stark Lake and Great Slave Lake. And it was just packed uh, tail to head with, uh, you know, big trophy size, like we're talking three pound grayling. And and then at the headwaters of that river were, you know, lake trout, not, not ever terribly large lake trout in that particular spot. But anyways, um, in the winter, the indigenous people would spend a lot of time, the caribou would come down and they would spend a lot of time hunting caribou in this particular region. And and then, of course, when we'd show up there in the summer, 
there would be caribou hides laying on the beach. Mm. And I kept noticing on the Stark River, there would be these white, I don't even know if they were caddis flies. They, you know, to me, they looked like caddis flies, but I'm going off memory now. So I would, yeah, so it just occurred to me to take these caribou hides that were sun-dried and stinking, and, and I would clip hair off of them. And then I just spent hours tying flies, tying these caribou caddis for mm. clients that were coming up. Um, you know, so I, the other day, how I met you actually was, you know, listening to the clubhouse chat that you guys were hosting. Right. And it came up a couple times um, about people, you know, <laughs> scavenging, you know, <laughs> pieces of carpet or, you know, I used to look at my Labrador, my my yellow lab sideways every now and then when I was looking for dubbing or something. And, and uh, I just love that idea of, you know, what can you make a fly out of? Um that looks like a bug that you want to uh, catch a fish with. I love that. Just, I adore that. Well, and, and, uh, caribou caddis, that's a great idea. I mean, any, any, you know, deer, <laughs> moose, th- those, those fibers are yeah. hollow. So they float and, well, especially uh, caribou. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. They spend a lot of time in the water and I, and you know what? And I appreciate it's... you tuning in the other night because we're having a lot of fun with that. Um, Oh yeah. What John's referring to is, um, we've got a, um, a club, on Clubhouse, if you're on that, and basically it's uh, Roger Maves from Ask About Fly Fishing. It's Dave Stewart from the Wet Fly Swing, and myself. And we have, we've got all kinds of industry experts just chatting about fly fishing, and it yeah, it, it, it was happens. a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time, and it's every uh, Thursday night at uh, seven seven Mountain, yep. uh, six Pacific, and what's that? That's like nine Eastern. So check it out on Clubhouse. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the the downside right now is you need an iPhone for that. For for some reason, a lot of my friends and an there, invite. Yeah, well, well, that that's easy to come by. I got lots of those, but oh, good. It, it still amazes me how many people um are are on. It's not opened up yet to um Android, and and apparently in about four or five months they're going to do that. So when they do oh, that. Good. It's gonna be it's gonna be a gong show, but um, sorry, I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked. So let's get back to the water. What I like to do, John, is kind of um, get a feel for for your neck of the woods. So, um, sure. and this may or may not have anything to do with fishing, but let's say you're on your way to your favorite river or still water in Alberta. What are you listening to on the stereo when you're driving in your truck? Oh, Gordon Lightfoot. All right, Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, Celine Dion, uh, 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 Matchbox 20, mm. uh, what else? I don't know. Um, Love me some Rob Thomas. There you go. Um, awesome. And old stuff. Eagles, of course, like old stuff. Um, yeah. John Denver a lot. Yeah. yeah. Pretty eclectic, but yeah, mostly the old stuff. Like, uh, like old it. is in pre-97, let's say. Yeah. Pre-97. <laughs> <laughs> One go-to fly pattern. We might have just alluded to this in the caribou, yeah. but is that your go-to fly pattern that you can't live without? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I would say yes. I've just spent a lot of time over the last couple of days tying caddis out of um, uh, a deer hair, a patch of uh, mule deer hide that my friend Kevin shot last October. So hmm. tying up a bunch of flies um, to give away as gifts for my friends and yeah, it's kind of special. Like we, I alluded to earlier, you know, it's kind of special to get that material that you've, yeah. you know, have some connection with and tie flies with. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, for sure. We can dig into that. Um, but I tie a mean, uh, I tie a mean San Juan worm also, which is a yeah. a good uh, fly for around here. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't go wrong there. <laughs> is there a place that you like to go, John, to chat, fly fishing, hunting, just the great outdoors? Like, is there a coffee shop near you, a fly shop, a you know, a watering hole? Is there somewhere you go to get your fix about fishing and the outdoors? No, they're honest. No, Mark, there isn't, and it makes me sad. I'm, you know, I guess I'm a little busy with a lot of other things, but I'm not aware of any fly shops near me. Of course, we have Cabela's and we have, um, you know, the fish and hole here in Edmonton, which carry fly gear. And so I get to know some of the guys that are there. But Mm -hmm. no, um, we don't have like, I don't know, I think you're in the interior of BC there somewhere. And I know that there are these little um, fort, you know, there's these little fly shops everywhere, right? That, um, you know, even in uh, Comox Courtney and different places where I've spent some time fishing, I love these little fly shops. And to the best of my knowledge, I, we don't have any around close to us. I, somebody might correct me, but yeah, no, I, I, I feel you on that. Uh, the town that I'm in, there isn't one. I mean, there's, there's one mm. that carries maybe a few flies, but that's about it. And, uh, you know, we're a town of, uh, 40,000 people. It's like oh wow. back in the day, I'm in Penticton. So, uh, okay. British Columbia. So, I yeah. mean, you go up to Kelowna, there's drought waters. You go up to, you mentioned yeah. Little Fort. I mean, you know, a lot of towns have them. But you know what strikes me as weird is I don't think Kamloops, to my knowledge, has a fly shop. And it's like, oh, really? That is the gateway to the best stillwater fly yeah. fishing in the world. It's just, it's a sad reality yeah. of, of retail these days. You know, everything's online. And I get it, uh, especially, especially now. But uh, it, it would be nice to see some of these brick-and-mortar stores kind of show up. Um, and I I think I got a funny feeling we're going to come full circle on this. Cause... I do, too, you know, um, because, like, right now, you know, when I'm jonesing for fly fishing information, you know, what do you got? Instagram, um, mm-hmm. Twitter, to a lesser extent for me, at least, anyways. Um, and then now Clubhouse seems to be kind of, you know, maybe that could be a thing down the road. Um so yeah well in youtube of course right but i mean so you form those connections with people that you're watching but you know it's not really the same thing right it's not like you can just ask questions and and you know what to be honest with you i've been fly fishing for 25 years but you know it's like i'm gonna put myself out there like how little i know about it to Mm. be honest with you is like i wish i had charlie again you know somebody close that i could chat with about different things so yeah no i crave that for sure yep I get what you're saying, and and that comes up on the show all the time. Because for and for me personally, that's what I love about it is you never know it yeah. all. Nobody knows it all. No, yeah, yeah. There's so yeah, much, yeah. To, and and same with same with the field that you're in, as far as bow hunting, as far as you know, the cooking, uh, hunting wild game. There's always something to learn, and and for me, that's kind of what keeps it going. Yeah, it sure keeps it fresh for sure. I find fly fishing though to be more evolving. I guess you'd say you know, um, Mm. that all the different techniques, you know, like when I started fly fishing, there was no such thing as check nymphing. Like what the hell was that? And or spay casting. I mean, you know, maybe it existed, but it certainly wasn't something that was popular or familiar with. So I find fly fishing to be pretty dynamic in that respect, like all the French leaders and the different, you know, back then you had a choice of sinking line and 
floating line, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Of course, there was some weight forward stuff. And of course, uh, you know, being a newbie, maybe I just wasn't aware of all the options that were out there. But no, you're, yeah, things have really changed. Amen to that. I, I was just thinking when you said that, like, really, spin fishing, you know, whether you're throwing a Panther Martin or a, uh, whatever, <laughs> it hasn't really changed that no. much, right? No. Not really. An open-faced spinning reel is yeah. the same as it was 30 years ago or 40 yeah. years ago. And yeah. same with trolling. I mean, you know. Well, you're... I guess a fly reel is the same too, right? Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, like you, yeah. um, I don't know, more the mythology, I guess, and the and the yeah. patterns and the mm-hmm. and the mythology of of casting and and even still water i mean that's changed that never used to be a thing when i was a kid or when i was learning how that i knew of you know maybe there was the odd guy doing it but it wasn't mainstream at all no it wasn't Um, we were trolling we were trolling wet lines with spratley yeah yes exactly thank you that's a whole other (laughs) yeah and people still do that but uh yeah yeah not so much anymore so if you had to think about your your fly fishing over the years John, is there, is there a, a takeaway for you, like a single takeaway? What would be, if you had to distill down your single biggest takeaway from fly fishing, mm. like what does it bring to your world? Oh, what an interesting question, Mark. What does it bring to my world? A, a huge sense, I would, the first word that comes to mind is satisfaction. Mm. Um, it's why I do most of my outdoor endeavors. It's why I choose to, uh, you know, bow hunt with traditional gear and I make most of, well, I make a lot of my traditional gear. Um, uh, so it's the same thing, right? It's fly, it's fly fishing for me now. Obviously I don't make fly line. I have to go buy it. And obviously I've bought a fly reel, but you know, I built my bamboo rod that I'm using now and, and I tie most, if not all of my own flies now. So when, you know, when I have to get myself to water that contains fish and, and then, you know, so when I catch a fish, you know, it's just that huge satisfaction of doing a lot of things myself. It's hard. So it's harder. And, um, that to me is the great, so I'm happy to fail. I fail all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, the more I fail, the more satisfaction I get when I don't fail, right? So, I don't know. Maybe some people don't get that. No, I totally can relate to that. If you're not failing yeah. or if you're not screwing up, you're not doing it enough. Because it's at some point, if you do anything enough, you're going to you're gonna find some issues. And that's where we learn, right? And it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. it is, you know. Yeah, that's... What does it mean to you? Like, what what is what would you say to that same question if you uh, asked yourself that? It's funny. I, like, I ask everybody, I never think my own answer but for me for me <laughs> it's easy to ask a question um for me it's peace of mind like i just oh, yeah. i just i shut it off so you yeah, know yeah, we get busy yeah. in our day jobs and as soon as i hit the water i'm focused on fish and i'm focused on patterns and yeah i'm having mm-hmm. fun with a buddy you know we're chatting maybe having something cold to drink but i'm i'm not thinking about day to day there's no problems there's no issues it's just like for me mm-hmm. it's, it's like therapy for me I know that sounds mm-hmm. cheesy, but that's, that's no, no, not that's, at all. That's my truth. I get that same feeling, and I think a lot of that has to do when when it comes to fly fishing, has to do with the history of it. It's ancient, and um, you know you can go. You don't even have to go back that far. Like Don Thomas is another influence of mine, mm-hmm. and he's a friend of mine um, who's written a lot of fly fishing materials. And so the way he writes about it. Um, I just talked to him the other day, actually, and he was on my show. Um, And so the way he writes about fly fishing is spectacular. And then, you know, you go back even further, Norman McLean, of course, and and River runs through it and things like that. I mean, 
So I actually get what you're saying. You can go and fly fish and you can be in a deep canyon in the, in the twilight. And uh, yeah, that's a, you're bang on about that feeling. That's for sure. You wouldn't get the same feeling if you had a spinning rod in your hand in that situation, I don't think. so. Yeah, it's different. It's just different, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it, it is yeah. hard to compare. Are, are yeah. you a sports guy? So being that you're just outside of Edmonton, um, <laughs> I figure you're probably an Eskimos, uh, Oilers. If, you, if you're um, watching uh, sports on the TV, if you have one. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, we don't have one. I knew it. No, we don't I have knew... one. Okay. Yeah, we don't have one. So, well, we have, um, like, so we watch Netflix and stuff, but yeah, right. I am a sports guy. Okay. And I'm just not a professional sports guy. Um, uh-huh. I've, I grew up playing hockey. I went and played hockey actually at, in Notre Dame and Saskatchewan. Wow. I was no, I was no good, but I was good <laughs> enough. I went and played there. And, um, and, uh, so I, I grew up playing hockey. A lot of my friends played pro and then, uh, I came back here and started coaching. So I've coached since I was like 18. I'm, I'm done now. This is my first year being done coaching, you know, and of course I wasn't coaching for the last 30 years, but mm-hmm. uh, I've coached on and off. I just spent the last five years um, coaching. It's the highest level. So for folks in the States, maybe they don't know um, hockey, of course is huge here. So I've just finished coaching uh, peewee double uh, a. So that's the most, wow. that's the highest level of, yeah. of, hockey that you can play at that age Start, group so yeah starts getting serious then <laughs> yeah there's a lot of kids that uh i've coached that are now being drafted and it's pretty rewarding to watch that there's some that's future awesome. olympians that i've coached so yeah watch yeah so that's my sports hockey well uh, rugby i played rugby in high school went to the canada games of st john new brunswick in 85 and hmm. so i love watching rugby on uh, you know when i can get it on uh, mostly on youtube now so yeah What's the best job you've ever had? Oh, that's easy, Mark. You're throwing <laughs> me softballs. Guiding in the Northwest Territories. That was okay. the best job I ever had. That was, But let's not go there. I'll, I'll challenge myself a little bit. Um, best job I ever had. Oh, well, I don't, my current job, to be honest with you, I think. Um, that's boring. Yeah. No, but it, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Good yeah, stuff. doing what I do now, uh, you know, with our own business here has, you know, affords me the freedom um, to, you know, pursue the things that I'm passionate about. So that's my favorite type of job for sure. So let's dig into what you're doing now. So as far sure. as um, your podcast, um, Food a Field Podcast, now I had a chance to listen to a few of your episodes, um, and I was really enjoying it to be quite honest because it's a little departure for me. So. Um, I totally, I, I, most fly fishers you talk to, it's catch and release, catch and release. But yeah, I know, and I, I, in, in, in my mind, there's, there's places where, you know, there's, you know, there's put and take fisheries where it's like, you know, or if there's so Mm -hmm. many fish in the lake, there's a place for that in my mind. We're not Mm -hmm. talking about trophy Mm -hmm. blue ribbon trout streams. I get the catch and release on that, but Mm -hmm. talk to me about, um, I, I want to know a little bit about why you started this podcast and I want to know a little mm-hmm. bit about kind of um, the direction you're going with it. So kind of dial us in on that from behind the sure. scenes. Sure. It's, it, it's again, it's a pretty simple conversation. I, I know that I might come across here to be a little controversial and I'm, I want everybody to understand that I'm not judging people, but I'll explain to you what I think and, and, you know, and then you can just make your own opinion about me. But how it started for me was, you know, again, when I was a kid, the motivation to go and kill a grouse wasn't just to go and kill a grouse and to 
say I killed a grouse or a squirrel or a fish. It was to eat it. And I've always been passionate about cooking. I don't know why Mm -hmm. I was never any good at it, but I loved doing it. And um, so there's actually um, an episode on food on uh, from the wild that's called tinfoil and matches because that's one of my favorite sayings to describe how I used to hunt. I would go out in the hills around our farm and hunt grouse, for instance, with my little green fiberglass recurve. And, you know, the only thing that would be in my pack would be, you know, a, a pack of matches and a rolled up piece of tinfoil and, and maybe a can of, you know, Campbell's mushroom soup or something so that I could cook <laughs> this gross. And, and so that is the sort of, that is the driving factor in why I hunt and fish today is to have a food outcome. Mm-hmm. And um, especially in hunting, I've done a lot of trophy hunting when I was younger and it just doesn't sit well with me anymore. Um, yeah. It's, I don't, I, I think that for better or worse, I think our society is changing in a way that the the old grip and grin photos are, are becoming less and less acceptable, especially when it comes to mammals. Now, when it comes to fish, um, that's different because obviously mm. you're you're holding the fish and you're we've all done this and, and there's nothing wrong with it. You the fish gets released and everything's fine. But but where it sort of departed for me a little bit and even in the fly fishing regard was there's laws here in Alberta, as I'm sure there are elsewhere, that you're not allowed to harass wildlife. You're not allowed to, you know, put a, a dart in a deer and in a big buck and take a picture of it and then have the deer wake up and run away. It's illegal. And, right. and it's considered illegal under the auspice of, you know, harassing wildlife. And then we were on an episode of from the wild and we were down actually in your neck of the woods, grand forks. And it, it okay. was maybe four or five years ago. That's not and far from me. So it was, it was really hot. And, and again, being a little noob about it, we're like, well, we'll just, you know, whatever. I mean, if, if it's open, it's open. But then I started talking to guides and locals down there. Well, like, no, you can't fish when it's this hot. You'll kill every fish that you catch. And and um, that was just sort of new to me, really. And I was like, really? So it stresses a fish that much. And so we decided not to do it. But we did go way up to the headwaters where there was a legal catch limit. And... Um, we decided, well, we just, we could each keep, I think one fish it was at the time. Um, and you know, so we just decided, well, if that's, we had driven whatever, eight hours or nine hours to do this, this episode and to do this, you know, to fly fish down there. Um, and so we just did that and we each caught, you know, a little trout and we cooked it and ate it and it was, and then we stopped fishing (laughs) and it sort of got this whole conversation around you know well why are we fishing and why are we you know especially when the fish are stressed and and i get that that's not always the case you can safely catch and release fish and and i don't know what the mortality is on those fish but anyways that's where the whole sort of discussion wrapped around and then for me my personal decision was well you know from now on i'm just going to fish in places where there's a food outcome and I'm going to target that species that I'm allowed to keep. I very rarely, if ever, keep a limit. Um, and of course, there's byproduct, there's bycatches, right? If I'm targeting a whitefish and, you know, I'm fishing in a stream that has cutthroat or browns or, or rainbows or whatever, then, you know, you're obviously going to catch some of those fish as well as a byproduct and then release them. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
the goal is still to catch that fish that you want for supper and then usually i just stop fishing and maybe i'll do some entomology you know or snoop around the rocks and see and then i'll go back to camp and tie some flies and you know so Mm. i don't know i I get a i guess i understand why people would think that that's not very enjoyable but no i i my decision you know what i'm not afraid of controversy and i don't see any controversy there whatsoever Um, and i don't judge people that go out fly fishing the bow river i like I get it. I know why you would want to do that. And I've done it. So I'm not a hypocrite and we'll judge people on that, but I'm just, you know, I guess it's nice to sort of challenge your own ideals and go, well, okay, why, why am I doing this? And what, what's, you know, what's my motivation for doing this? And, you know, so yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm going to tell you my guilty pleasure. I actually do not like the taste of trout personally. Mm. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's a big statement. It has to be from the right lake. It has to be eating the right food oh, sources. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. mine is kokanee, like landlocked sockeye salmon. If, oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah. if I'm catching one of those, it's coming home. Um, oh, gosh. There's no, you know, obviously, I don't know what the limit is because I never catch that many. I have a hard time well, catching them. Been... But, man, they taste good. Oh, dude. It, we The second half of that episode, so we went down to Grand Forks, and one episode was called Closed because all the streams were closed and the second half. So the second episode in that season or the next episode in that season was called sockeye. And we had a chance to go down and hang out with Jennifer Cockrell, who's a pretty well-known outdoor writer in Canada. Mm-hmm. And she lives in a Soyuz on the bench there. And uh, we had a chance to fish with the Celix people down there uh, for sockeye. Nice. And, you know, we toured their facilities and, and just learned about that story of the sockeyes running up all the way up. Yeah. What is it, the Olympia? What? No, what's the no, name of the river? Columbia. 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 Yeah. yeah. So they come up the Columbia, you know, up the Okanagan, yeah. and in fact, they've yeah. um, uh, that band has worked so hard on that fishery along oh, with uh, stateside too. It's pretty cool what's going on there actually. Yeah. Nobody yeah, else yeah, could have yeah. pulled that so, off. Um, no, and they did, and and you know, I I think that that fishery has been in trouble in subsequent years, um, but uh, you know we're. Yeah, I definitely am cheering for that fish. That's yeah. a special fish. So you're lucky if you get a chance to catch one of those and bring it home for well, sure. I think those are coming through something like 13 dams on the Columbia system. Yeah. And and yeah. if you've been here in the summer, you know how hot it is in August. Yeah, it's like it can 40. be it, yeah. it's yeah, exactly. It's like 110 Fahrenheit. Or... Well, and then, you know, and then learning about that whole like um so what's the the canal, I guess it's a river, but they've dredged that river over the years. Yeah, that's the Okanagan. Is that the Okanagan? That's the Okanagan yeah. River system, which flows into you know, the Columbia. So it's just this, yeah, so it's yeah. this slew of a river that's flat and slow and, and, you know, nothing going on in it. And, of course, it just gets warm because they've taken all the big boulders that used to aerate it and cool the water. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you know, not enough snowpack in the high country to to keep those waters cold but yeah it's a challenge for sure but you're right though john that has been an amazing success story and i know they've had some of the biggest runs and in a long long time and um last year was it was a big run so it's it's oh really yeah no it's doing quite well i mean and weather dependent right so that's um when you get that real like you say that hot uh those hot summers it can struggle but um so far so good it seems to be growing they're now bringing them all the way up to okanagan like so it's uh oh you I, see when i was doing it mark they hadn't reached okanagan mm, lake yet. that's new so that's relatively new so 
Oh, wow. uh, and we've been seeing the the cool thing about that is we've been seeing the rewards in the fisheries re- unrelated to that, you know. So whether it's bass fishing, whether it's um, whether it's trout fishing in some of these lakes in the valley bottom, they're seeing those minnows, they're seeing that nitrogen, they're seeing. I can mm. see how, you know, one fish can change a fishery. Like, um, yeah, you oh, know, interesting. It is pretty cool to see. But yeah, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked here. So no, no, that's good. Yep, I've got all the time in the world for you, Mark. So let's let's get back to to your show. So um, if you had to pick um, a species of fish that you enjoy eating, um, what would be number one for you? Oh, that I catch on a fly rod? Um, uh, well, I would have to say lake trout, but I just don't have a chance to do that much anymore, right. as in ever. Um, yeah. I heard your guest well, talking about last your last episode talking about casting in like shallow water on those shelves um, for large large lake trout with a fly. Um, with, with oh, men. that was me. Oh, sorry. That, that was, was you talking about that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> that when sounded I was pretty good. In the Northwest. Yeah, I kind of started going down that road, and then we we just got excited talking about other things. But when I was up in the territories, you know, fly fishing was in its infancy, and even Charlie was basically just hitting the river for grayling, which was terribly easy. I mean, I got so bored of it, but I sure learned a lot. That's where I learned to read water and you know read where fish were holding and they were holding everywhere in the river. I get that. It wasn't technically difficult to catch grayling in that river. But then it sort of um you know maybe it got a little boring. So I was trying to figure out well how do I catch lake trout in the main lake, you know on a fly and and we tried different things and and with varying success. One of the biggest things that was successful was as I mentioned the headwater of that Stark River. We would anchor in the middle it was a little slower and and deeper in that section and we'd anchor and then we'd swing these big you know um, you know leech pattern uh, uh, streamers out you know 45 degrees behind the boat let them swing down we were catching big lake trout doing that but the biggest thing that um great slave lake for those of you don't that don't know is in the canadian shield it's in the arctic there's you know um it's two thousand feet deep in you know, in, in certain places, but then in the middle of these depths, there will be these plateaus, these sunken islands where it's an acre or two acres or five acres of water. That's, you know, maybe three or four feet deep. And in some places it actually protrudes up uh, out of the water surface. You have to be a little careful because you mm. can wreck yourself pretty easy, but within a boat. But, um, I remember one time I was with guests and I, happened to glance and we were trolling around these islands you know with big spoons or flatfish or whatever like most people did mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden i saw this you know what i thought was a big fish and you know and they get these breeding colors in late summer that are just spec- they look like the most spectacular brook trout you've ever seen with their red and white bellies and white edged fins and oh they're gorgeous and mm-hmm. i so i had my fly rod with me and i just quickly you know, threw a streamer on it and I was rigged up for grayling and, uh, and I cast it out in front of this fish and it ended up being about 28 pounds. And, <laughs> um, yeah, on my little eight weight, you know, well, no, it wasn't an eight weight. It was smaller than that. Even. But wow. anyways, I don't remember. <laughs> so it took me a while, but I landed this fish in a fly and then that became a new thing. So yeah, lake trout are my favorite fish to eat <laughs> for sure. And we do have plans to get back up to the Eastern arm here for in the show, but uh, we just haven't accomplished that yet. 
Well, it's actually one... like grayling too. We're not allowed to keep grayling here in Alberta, but I have plans to go up to the Yukon here. What do uh, what a grayling taste like? like? They're pretty fishy. They're pretty strong. You know, they're mm. um, I would put. They're not like oily. Like I like catching mountain whitefish. We'll catch mountain whitefish here, and we're allowed to keep I don't know three or I don't even remember to be yeah. honest with you, because uh, I never, <laughs> I never I, one is good, right? But yeah. anyways, we'll smoke those. Um, eating them fresh, which I've done, they're a little, you know, I don't know, grassy tasting or whatever word you want to apply mm. to them. But grayling are they're they're cleaner than that, but they're still a little fishy. Like you got to like the taste of fish to yeah. eat grayling for sure. I uh, yeah. I, I want to talk to you about this because you probably know about this, and I, I it's something I, I I talk with a lot of my buddies when we're out fishing. Um, there's certain lakes where the the trout, if you happen to take one, will taste better than other mm. waters. And for me, it's always the pinker, the meat, usually the more flavorful. So, you know, yeah. and, and my buddy that used to work for, for the ministry, um, back in the day told me that that's from the keratin. That's, that means that fish is eating a lot of shrimp, like freshwater shrimp or scuds. And, and that translates into pink, pink flesh with better flavor. And that is the exact reason really why the kokanee tastes so, so good because they're feeding on invertebrates that are full of keratin and their, their meat. I, and I fish lakes that have no shrimp and I've taken fish mm-hmm. home and it's white as cardboard. And it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just, to me, it tastes not good. So, so you've associated a taste with the color of the flesh. That's interesting. Yes. Um, yeah. I could be Here wrong. where I am, when we fish still water, the taste of the fish is completely dictated by the time of year yeah. and the amount of, um, you know, it's that muddy taste. Of course, it's not mud. It's uh, actually a, a, a algae that grows in the water. So from uh, warmer waters, you mean? like? Yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say there's a correlation there for sure. Mm. But what's interesting is, you know, for instance, up in the, you know, sorry, I keep dropping the Northwest Territories bomb. But anyways, up in the territories, we, of course, would eat fish every single day. That was your job. You would have to catch, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of lunch fish and sure. you'd have to cook shore lunch for the guests. And so I ate fish every day for months on it. And um, there was a huge variation in the flesh of those fish. We'd get some that were pink, like bright red, like a the, the reddest farmed salmon <laughs> you've ever seen and uh and then we'd get some that was just bright white like you described but we didn't really notice a difference in the taste Interesting. Um, and then then there was the odd fish that you'd get that you'd catch and it was just fatty um i don't know it's hard to describe obviously it was it had muscle or else it wouldn't be able to move but when you cooked it it would just turn into a mush it yeah. would never flake right yeah i know and, what you mean oh that stuff was inedible like Huh. You know, if we ever, I would get to know those fish as I was filleting them and, yeah. and, uh, they didn't look a lot different, but you could just tell having filleted thousands of fish, you'd just get a, an idea, right? And then we'd just have to throw them away. And of course the, the bald eagles and the seagulls would get them. So, yeah. I've, I've experienced that ice fishing. And when you're, um, you get a fish that's been feeding on snails and it's just like, oh, oh man. And really, oh Yeah. And, and so some of the larger, like, and this is just my theory. I could be totally out in left field, but 
when I catch a trout out of a big lake that's been feeding on kokanee, whatever it's been feeding on, it's it's also been, you know, it's going to take on that property. So yeah, yeah. for me, that's where you you might see a, a rainbow trout on a bigger water that's really got some, some pinker skin because it's been feeding on some of these bait fish that are feeding on, in turn, you know, oh, um, yeah. prawns, shrimp, sorry, shrimp and uh, freshwater scuds, whatnot, but... Anyway. And so do those fish taste decent? Or yes, 100%. Even though they've got the, yeah, yeah, they still do. As yeah. long as they're not too big, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm sure yeah, yeah. I'm sure that would be a common denominator in fish that you choose to table. Um, not too big is oh, probably yeah. always a good oh. rule. Well, yeah. I, the only exception I can think of would be, you know, some of the saltwater fish, right, where it doesn't seem to really matter. But, yeah. yeah. No, I would agree with you, you know. And then the other thing that we laugh about, too, is why would you kill? Like up in the territories, these fish, these they would be, I think I had a biologist tell me once that they would grow, uh, what was it, like half a pound a year on average from, you know, their entire life. Hmm. And so, you know, if you caught a 30-pound fish, well, that fish was 60 years old, right? So Wow. It's just number one, you can never eat 30 pounds of fish. It'd have to be a pretty big dinner party. <laughs> but number two, like, I'm not going to kill a fish that at the time was three times my age, right? Like, yeah. That's just, that's, I couldn't do it, right? That's so. a cool way to look at it. 60-year-old yeah. fish. Wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk about your farming. So um, I did notice in your bio that you um, grow, mill, and harvest heirloom varieties of wheat. I got a funny story for you on this. I'll, I'll relate to Okay, At least cool. it's funny to me. But um, yeah. talk to me about that. Where's that passion come from? Well, I grew up farming. So dad, you know, farmed and grandpa farmed and great grandpa farmed. and Yeah, everybody farmed. It's just one of those things where around here, that's what you do kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least where I grew up. And um, so, yeah, it, you know, I remember my dad, I was whatever, 18, 20 or something like that. And dad asked if I wanted to farm and I was like, gosh, no, like no way. I was so done with farming. It was such a chore. And no not interested and then went uh you know off to the big city and did my thing and was working in ivory towers and wearing expensive suits and you know got married and had kids and then all of a sudden it just sort of crept up on me like what am i doing like you know i just missed farming so much so Mm. that was a tough thing to do that was my wife cindy was on board with all of my stupid decisions and you know we did without money for a lot of years and uh but, you know, we just raised our kids the best way we knew how. We gave them every opportunity to do the things that they wanted, and we made the switch. And slowly we, we experimented, Mark, with different things like pastured poultry and pigs. And Because we had property west of the city. I was, we were right in the middle of the bow, hunt, the bow zone that surrounds Edmonton. And, uh, okay. You know, prime whitetail habitat. And I was doing a lot of whitetail hunting. Don Thomas had come up hunting with me a few times. And... And so anyways, and I was outfitting at the time and uh, just made the switch into agriculture. And then we finally, we just bought less house and more land. And we moved out to Sturgeon County, which is where I grew up. And and now we're doing it full time. We've been doing that for about 12 years now, 10 years, 11 years. Sorry, Mark, 11 years we've been doing this now where we're farming. Well, we're not even farming, really. We're milling our grains into flour products. And so farming Mm -hmm. is actually a very small um part of my day now so but we farm the grains we harvest the grains and we mill the grains and then we sell the grains uh, direct to consumer yeah how important in your mind is it that we understand where the food comes from where it's grown 
um, how it should taste? Well, I mean, how it tastes is, yeah, that's okay. So you just want to have that conversation. That's, you know, arguably maybe the most important conversation. Like you mentioned the way different fish taste, and I'm sure that you get a feel for what lake you want to go to to catch a fish that tastes good and what size and whatnot and Mm -hmm. so it's the same thing with food i mean especially if you've got choices where you can grow you know where you can buy a tomato from from mark and it tastes amazing and it tastes amazing consistently or you can buy a tomato from you know safeway or you know whatever other store you might want to buy well maybe it doesn't taste as good and maybe it does but you just get to know that food and you go okay the tomato from mark tastes better um and I'm helping Mark out who lives in my community, who coaches my kids hockey team or, you know, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. the money just stays closer to home. Right. And yeah. I mean, you know, environmentally as well. I, I you know, again, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't preach about that sort of stuff, but I do think it's just common sense that if food doesn't have to travel as far as it needs to, then that's a good thing. So yeah, yeah we spend a lot of time sourcing out food. Of course, we're lucky enough too, where we live on a farm and we can raise a couple of pigs every second year and we mm-hmm. have our chickens and eggs. And of course we've got grain and flower products coming out the wazoo. So you're so, taking, you know, we garden. You're taking the hundred mile dot down to about a kilometer. <laughs> Not even Mark, like all of our fields. Like, yeah, we live in the middle of our field. We built a little straw bale house. Wow. here on the farm so we cool. go through about two cords of wood a year to heat our heating bill is i think last year was six hundred dollars for the whole year for heat and domestic wow. hot water and, north of edmonton you know, north of edmonton yeah, yeah. six hundred dollars a year yeah yeah well we built a passive solar design we had an engineer design us that the sun hits like all the way to the back of the house in winter and then doesn't enter the house at all in summer and then of course these straw bale walls are like our wow. you know a bazillion or whatever and so you know, when it's 30 above here in June or July, that it feels like we have air conditioning on. And then conversely in the summer with the sun coming in, because we live in sunny Alberta, you know, it, uh, it stays pretty warm. We've got the smallest commercially available wood stove on the market, a little, mm-hmm. uh, Vermont castings wood stove that we throw some wood in twice a day. And yeah, life is good. So What's your yeah, favorite? the food though, you know, the food though is important. It's, it's, I think it's, you know everything and then you know with what we're going through right now with you know this i don't know that they've come out officially and said what you know the what the origin story is of this but a, a lot of these are bird flus which come from you know big uh, bird barns and things like that so i mean again i don't know uh, i just know that it's probably better to buy i'll spend twenty dollars buying a chicken from mark before i'll spend you know ten dollars buying it cheap chicken that i don't know where it comes from yeah probably tastes better and i know that it's better for mark it's better for me it's better for everything so i uh but that's a tough thing to do if you don't have the privilege of having the 20 dollars to spend so i get it that's true that's that's a good point and and you're preaching the choir on that but i i'll tell you a funny story so i uh i'm a big gardener and i don't you know i live in in the suburb not the suburbs i live you know, it's, it's a small town and I live kind of, um, just, just outside of the main city center, but we've got a quarter acre, which is actually a big oh, lot yeah. for where we're at. Yeah. One, one day I thought, you know what, I'm tired of growing these vegetables that I may or may not eat. I'm going to, I like bread. I'm going to grow some wheat. Oh. So I went okay. to the, I went to the organic store, uh, and I bought a bunch of, you know, wheat seeds. I don't know even the proper name for it. So 
Yeah, well, yeah. So, and the, I, I read this thing. It said buy organic because there's no there's no herbicides, there's no there's no desiccation. Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. So plant those. So, so I I do that, and and sure enough, I got this backyard full of wheat, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, so now what am I gonna do? So, so I took a tarp because I I I'm an idiot. Okay, so I take a tarp, and I and, and when I thought it was ready. I just started beating yeah. it on this tarp, so I get, yeah, yeah. So then I get I get these wheat seeds, and I take it and I put it in my coffee grinder, and I'm grinding grinding these damn seeds for weeks, and I made I, I'm like I was determined I'm gonna make a loaf of bread out of this damn wheat, and I did it, and awesome. and it tasted pretty freaking good, but I was like that's amazing that's a lot of work, man. <laughs> it's like yeah. I, I anyway so so basically i go to cobb's bakery now but uh yeah. I, I thought i wanted to do the exercise i wanted to have an appreciation for where in the heck like how do i get bread what do i, I i'm gonna grow some yeah. wheat and and i don't even know yeah, if i'm yeah. in a good place for growing wheat but i'll tell you what it grew like weeds and the deer oh, yeah. the yeah. deer sure liked it but uh <laughs> that's hilarious yeah well so, no i mean that's that brings me to another point too is like I guess I come across as being maybe a know-it-all on a bunch of, like I do a bunch of different things, but I'm a firm believer in, uh, you know, the, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, like, you know, you don't have to do everything. Like, you know, maybe Mark is really good at tying flies and I'm really good at making flour. So here's Mark, you know, here, Mark, here's a bag of flour. Can you tie me up a dozen flies or whatever? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm a big fan of stuff like that as well. Like, you know, get to know the community and get to know the people that are good or have a passion for doing different things. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I, I, I could talk to you all day. I, I find this stuff fascinating. <laughs> you, you you really threw me for a, for a curveball there when you said you spent $600 a year on heat. Because I know, oh. I know how cold it is where you are. And yeah, yeah. Well, wow. I mean, it's long. It's still cold. Yeah. Yeah. So, is yeah, the, yeah. Well, the, I mean, Go ahead. Again, it's a, it's sorry. Go ahead, Mark. No, no, you go, you go, you go. Well, I'm just saying again. It, you know, it's a decision that we made. It's it was, you know, maybe risky. Although it turns out that it isn't. It was the best decision we ever made. But there, it's not like every single house in the neighborhood is made of straw bales. So it was, you know, it was. Are we doing the right thing here? Why is everybody else's house made out of two by sixes and ours is made of straw bales? But hmm. we spent about five years researching it and you know they're not it's actually not new technology it's been around for centuries or a century i guess yeah um and uh yeah it was a great decision that we made for sure yeah uh, there's certainly wrong ways to do it and luckily we've done enough research that we we haven't experienced any of those mistakes that other people have made but um yeah I, you know, I, but... i'm curious about your journey to the ivory tower you were talking about so when, when you're oh, when you're well i want to know about this so when you're so you're living because i trust me I, I go through this in my mind all the time i lived in vancouver for a while and i'm just like oh yeah there you go it's not my scene but but i love going there for the weekend i love going to watch a hockey game i love there's yeah. things you can yeah. do there that you can't do out here but um what, I just want to know your thought process. So when you're, you know, you're working your butt off for the corporation or whatever you're doing and, and you're trying to make a living in, in the city, what kind of, was there, a, was there a tipping point where you're just like, no, I want to go back? Yeah, there was. I mean, I was a broker. I was a commercial real estate broker. I'd gone to university and, and then, do you want to hear a funny story? I this do. is how... I'm not being vain. This is a true story, okay? But we, I was I was interviewing 
with partners in a real estate firm. At the time, it was called J.J. Barnicky. So it was a big sort of national, I don't think it was international, but national real estate, commercial real estate firm. And so I'm having an interview with these partners at uh, Earl's Tin Palace. And for your listeners that don't live in Alberta, they probably don't know what Earl's is, but it's a high-end sort of lunch place or dinner place. It's well, I wouldn't even say high end. Yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty high end. I, now that I know what high end is, well, it's, it's not really high end. But anyways, it's uh it's not anyways, McDonald's. It's a fancy yeah, and it's not McDonald's for sure. And so we're sitting there at the table, we're having a uh in the typical interview questions are going on and then all of a sudden i get a tap on the shoulder and this guy um says excuse me sir i'm sorry to interrupt have you ever thought about modeling and he hands me my, his business card <laughs> and i got the job like right there they were so impressed that uh yeah that's, really i don't know why so did well, you did you model for the for years after that they would make fun of me for that right but did so you did you end up taking a, them up on that did you uh it wasn't i had done a little bit no that's embarrassing dude no, no throw it out there we need we need yeah, the full circle to, here i used to do a little bit yep you know back in the day what you know, kind of modeling we're talking magazines we're talking runway <laughs> oh come on Really? Yeah, minor, minor runways. With your organic over, wheat yeah. in hand and your your oh, mule deer dude. in the other. Wow, dude, think about this. We're it going was deep. Whatever, nineteen eighty something, eighty nine, nineteen ninety. So yeah. think like you... pastel knit sweaters oh. and and uh, parachute pants. So and, you had your Don and... Johnson Miami Vice shoes on. Oh, right. dude, I had a mullet, a permed yeah. mullet. Yeah. So you're... <laughs> beauty. That's coming back. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I hope I know it is. Oh man, that's what I'm holding out for. That's gold right there. So, so anyways, so that's just a little funny side. But anyways, I got the job, and um, uh, it, so I did commercial real estate, and I actually had a lot of fun. The people that I was working with were just tons of fun, great people, mm -hmm. and that just evolved and grew. And I was doing quite well for myself, and uh, you know, we were living comfortably and doing things that we wanted to do, and. And it just felt, yeah, it felt a little hollow, you know. I didn't have time for hunting or fishing. I didn't have, you know, it was just, I was getting up at four in the morning. It, like, it's, you know, I've started to get obsessed with sort of the success of it. And, you know, I was getting up at four in the morning and driving into work and coming home at five or six at night. And, yeah. um, you know, it was just, it was getting a little, yeah, it, it just run its course, I guess I would say. And I. You know, yeah. it's sort of the thing with me, I guess, that I'm a little guilty of is, you know, I'll go hard at something and then, you know, get decent at it and then go, okay, what's next? And so oh, I do admire man. the guys that just stick I, with their career. You their just described life. my whole life. That's, oh gosh, there you it, go. I'm that. That's I'm that guy. Like I would, yeah. I would do something for five years, learn it, and like, okay, this is yeah. boring. I want to do something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And luckily with fly fishing, it's never. Yeah. there's just so much to learn that you don't know that i haven't hit that wall yet with that. it's funny that's yeah. my so my day job i'm a winemaker and that that is another thing oh i didn't know that about you yeah oh, so cool so yeah well i'm a bit of a foodie too so that and that's another Good. reason i wanted to talk to you but i you never know at all you never so it's it's like it's, it's like fly fishing so for me it's like it's um it's two things that you just keep learning at and it's far it, well, it's, and then it's the farming. It's farming, right? Yeah, it, right. It, I was just going to say it, the, it is farming. The, 
Yeah, the variables change every year, right? The grapes yeah. taste different, or they behave different, or whatever. Yeah. Different sugar content. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's yeah. it, that's what it is. Is farming. It's not. Yeah. But it's uh, it's all about the land, and it's all about what you're growing on the land. So, let's get back to your show. So, so we've got um, John Schneider on the on the line tonight. He is from the Food a Field podcast. He's just north of Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, he has an award winning series from the wild. You can see on Wild TV. Uh, he's been bull. Well, no, that I'm gonna I'm sorry. gonna stop you. You with used this. to be sorry, able to that, see it. Go ahead. It's not my show. It's Kevin Costlin's show. Sorry. Well, okay, but you were part of it. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> I, I think you're <laughs> like it, it's you're killing me, man. You're you're very humble because I know you're Canadian. Sorry. It's like, oh, I did this modeling thing. I don't want to talk about it. I did this wild <laughs> thing. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, no. Well, well, that's what we're here to talk about, man. Well, so, I'm not trying to be that guy. No, anyways. no, you're not that guy. So 40 years under the belt bow hunting. He was also a fly fishing guide, bow hunting guide in Alberta. Um, love what you're up to, man. I really do. I, I enjoyed your, your podcast. Where can we find your podcast? So if somebody wants to download some episodes, where's the best place in your mind? Well, you can go to fly fishing, uh, what is it, www.foodafieldmagazine.com which is sort of a hint of the next thing that I'm working on, which is to put out a, a magazine here in June. So working on that. But uh, it just, you know what? Probably the same as your podcast, Mark, just everywhere that you can listen to podcasts. Yeah, so uh, iTunes, Spotify. Yeah, Google, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Good stuff. This is totally off topic. But okay, cool. what tastes better in your mind? Muleys or whitetails? Oh, whitetails. 100%. White tails taste better than mule deers. What yeah, tastes better, 100%. moose or elk? Mm. What kind of moose? A calf moose? Ooh. Mm. See, now moose. you're getting specific. I don't know. I, I've never had a calf moose. I've only had like a, a regular moose. Um, yeah, a bull, I, I I'd say moose. I'd say moose. Really? Wow. See, I would say moose. I always thought the best wild meat I've ever had, other than probably buffalo, was elk. In my mind. Oh, interesting. But you why know, though? Why um, did what, what I, did you like about it? You know, we have a lot of mule deer around here, and okay. a lot of my buddies hunt, and we used, I ate a lot of mule deer, and I, I didn't, I don't love mule deer. I mean, I, I guess maybe it's how it's cooked, but um, the first time I had whitetail, oh, I went, sure. oh, this is this is good, and uh, uh, I had some elk uh, just a couple of times. I haven't had a lot of it, but. Um, from what I have had, I'm like, wow, this is really good. So um, oh, interesting. I don't know. Well, I, I think again, there's a lot of variables. What was, you know, moose are pro- eating a lot of browse, and um, how was it killed, and how what you know? I mean, you don't. Right. All of these variables come into play with what it's eating, how it was killed, how it was processed, how long was it out in the field before it was chilled? Like all of these things come into play. Mm. I think you know, handling everything equally. The reason why I said moose is because it does have a little more flavor to it, right? So if I, you know, if I'm choosing, I will choose, you know, venison based on, you know, what, um, what am I looking for? Like what, what flavor notes am I looking for? For sure. Right. And then I'll just, I'll pull moose out of the freezer. Um, If you're just asking me if I have one meal left to eat on earth and it's moose or elk. Yeah. I'm going to probably take the moose and do something cool with it. Yeah. Cool. Um, rough grouse or blue grouse? Oh, rough grouse. Really? That is my nemesis. I love rough grouse. Um, yeah, you're, you're, (laughs) 
You like the blue gross fat? I do, but oh, I, maybe I'm out in left field again. Darker meat, um, more flavor for sure in the in the spruce or the blues, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> like you say, I see those spruce and they're eating the, the pine. I don't know what the heck they're eating, but they're up in the tree looking down at me eating those needles and whatnot. And they, I always think like the blues are kind of they're they're more flighty. They're harder to get, so they must taste better. <laughs> There you go. I did an episode. It's one of my most popular episodes. Um, last fall, I did a podcast show, just a solo podcast show on rough grouse chicken strips and fries. I've been on this little bit of a kick lately about turning slow food into fast food. So what are the things that, you know, that you like to eat when you're on the road and you hit, you know, a fast food restaurant mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, chicken strips and fries. So yeah, I turned a rough gross into chicken strips and oh my <laughs> goodness, that was, dude, that was crazy good. I still dream about that meal. I'm going to tell yeah. you the worst meal I've ever had and it involves oh, me, me killing something. So we were, I was, I was a rookie hunter and my buddy, Maddie, who's just like, he, he's the man he's been doing this since, since he was knee high to grasshopper. And he's like, we're going rabbit hunting. I'm like, okay, I don't see a lot of rabbits around here, but it sounds good. He gives me a shotgun and I, I don't, I don't, I had not shot a shotgun too many times, but anyway, so we're, we're on this road and there's rabbits everywhere. I mean, they're, they're, they're coming out of, I don't know. It was a good rabbit season, I guess. So I, I shot this rabbit and he's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to eat this rabbit. So, so we, we cleaned this rabbit and we had it for lunch and I'm just like, I just, when you said that can of mushroom soup, I'm like, I'd be walking around with, with liters, gallons of mushroom soup because it needs, it needs, I don't, maybe it's how we cooked it. The poor thing was still twitching in the pan, but it was like, it was the toughest, worst tasting piece of meat I've had in my life. And I'm like, yeah, just give me a ribeye. I'm, I'm done with this, but, um, it it was, it was a great experience. Don't get me wrong, but it just, I will not eat rabbit shot hour earlier uh, no i'll make you rabbit and you'll love it yeah no <laughs> you, there's probably, a way to do it maybe it's my cooking a, yeah. well no it's just the type of cooking if you braise that rabbit yeah you know you take some rabbit and you take you know make a nice veg stock and then just braise it all afternoon or all day mm-hmm. it'll fall off the bone and it'll taste good yeah so i have had rabbit at a local greek restaurant where it's really good so I know it can. Yeah, well, I know it can taste good, but just I'm just saying that one. That one. <laughs> that I, sh- I should have let it go. But <laughs> anyway, um, I'm digressing here, but uh, I'm getting a lot of flashbacks chatting with you for some reason. The whole the good. whole wheat farming, rabbit chasing, yeah. Um, Dude, that's interesting. I love it. Yeah, I love it. So, what are you doing day to day now? So, like, is is what are you doing tomorrow? Are you farming? Are you gardening? Are you hunting? What's what's on the tomorrow? Tomorrow I am editing podcast <laughs> and I am gonna do some milling of grains because I do that pretty much every day. Um, and that is probably gonna be be my day. I'm gonna get up in the morning and I'm gonna drink two cups of coffee. I I actually just kind of got interested in coffee i've always drank coffee but i actually just roasted some coffee i went uh, a friend of mine owns an organic store in edmonton um earth general store in edmonton and they have a quite a nice but an antique coffee roaster in the back and i went there and you know bugged them and grabbed some green beans and 
and then yeah, roasted some coffee. So I, I drink really good coffee in the morning. Mm. I get, go back to my office. I'll visit with Cindy for an hour or two and then uh, go back to my office and edit and, um, you know, or edit some photographs or something, whatever, you know, I need to do as far as the food of field podcast goes. And then uh, while I'm doing that, I'll have the mill running. So that's my, that's usually my day right now in Alberta. There just isn't a whole lot to do. Um, some shed hunting, I guess is about it. Um, do you, you know the fish, fishing doesn't open till mid June, I guess, for most of the right. foothill streams and ice fishing's closed and yeah. Do you use Audacity? How do you add it? Oh, um, I, I I'm trying to use Audacity. Um, so and I'm just not quite getting it. So what I do is I edit it. I do a rough edit on Audacity, mm-hmm. and then I am hosted by Anchor. FM. That's my, yep. and I really like it because it is just stupid simple. So I, um, so I go on, I drag that main file over to, uh, to anchor. Mm-hmm. And then from anchor, I can, I know how to split and, and I can drop in my edit and diff- I can import different audio files and you're on SoundCloud, aren't you? I'm on SoundCloud. Yeah. It works for me. Yeah, that's, um, and I, yeah. if you need a hand with audacity, I'm getting pretty dialed in on it. Oh wow! I, I yeah, it. I might take you up on that. Oh, I, it's, it's I, easy. Yeah. It, well, oh, well. It, I shouldn't say that. It's one of those things where you can always learn more. It's like I've every yeah, time I go yeah. on there, I learn something. Well, new. you know, I've been kind of on a photography kick lately. So you know, sorry, I interrupted your your hit there on me earlier. Like, um, so from the wild is a show that I'm involved with, just strictly as on air talent. Um, my friend Kevin owns and owns the show and and does a great job with that show and i think we're in our eighth season so i've been involved with it from the beginning as far as just you know doing hunting and fishing stuff on screen Mm -hmm. but lately that's evolved into doing more uh camera work while i'm on while i'm you know on on site uh on location right as we say in the business (laughs) and uh on location um, yeah i know that it's been fun it, like and i i can tell you have a radio background it's fascinating to listen to your voice and how you do things and so i'm just learning that photography thing i've recently do you want to hear a funny story i mm-hmm. was cleaning up my closet yesterday and i came across all my old slide film um from the northwest territories um a bunch of uh nice um what are they high eight you know, yeah. eight millimeter yeah, tapes like, from yeah. hunting and fishing back in the late nineties. And so, yeah, that I haven't seen in 20 years. And so, oh. yeah, I'm going to take those back. Like I took them in today to get developed and transferred to digitally, yeah. but I've really been getting a kick on uh, going back to uh, photography. And so been really kind of focused on teaching myself to be a better photographer, which you'll probably see on my Instagram account. If you Good go stuff. there, it's uh, what, where, yeah, what is it's, your Instagram account? Uh, food, a field podcast. Yeah. Have you You'll see it sort of transform? Have you tried roasting your own coffee beans yet? No, you know I have well other than in that big commercial roaster in town, no. Like just doing it at home? Yeah, like doing it in a fry. How do you do yours? I don't. I just I just thought it oh, would be haven't? something really cool to do. I, I <laughs> There used yeah. to be this place called Green Beans Cafe in town. They're not there anymore. Yeah, I used yeah. to go by and and uh, man, you'd literally see the green beans are roasting them there. It's yeah. pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did go down that rabbit hole a little bit and, um, but I just drink so much coffee. I mean, if I roasted a frying pan full of coffee, it would last me about two days. Right. So what's your favorite yeah, just went brand into... or uh, roaster? What's it called? Well, 
I don't know. I, I don't have a favorite. I mean, I just did, I guess, there's different words for it, but I just did a Spanish roast, which is 470 degrees, if I'm not mistaken. Four, oh, I've forgotten. It's written down on my... On, I, I did a two-kilogram pail of coffee, and then I did it at... I'm pretty sure it's 470, and it, it's gross. Like, I, it's just burnt, charred coffee you know but i guess that's called a spanish roast and the, so i use it <laughs> so i you, drink coffee if you burn it let's call it spanish <laughs> yeah that's the fancy I like it. that's the fancy term for when you over roast and ruin your coffee you call it spanish or I italian it. roast yeah but anyways um so what i've done with that is um there's a little company actually i don't know if i'm allowed to plug companies but yeah, there's a little company do. in saskatchewan that's called freedom coffee canada and uh, I think his name is Chris, I want to say, that owns it. And so he is barrel aging his coffee. Um, so he wow. barrel ages it in whiskey or, or rum or, uh, or uh, wine barrels. Hmm. And so it, does, it, has, it has a little taste of, you know, a whiskey uh, coffee. So what I've been doing is just blending, you know, my gross over roasted stuff with his, you know, you know, wine or whiskey barrel aged coffee and, and then I run it through, we have a little, I think it's a Brayville um, uh, barista, like a little, you know, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's a, like a, it makes espresso and foams milk. So, yeah. So I always drink Americanos. That's my go-to coffee is Americano. What's yours? Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, actually, it's a small roaster out in Naramata. So my, my I'm, oh. I'm just, I'm actually trying to text my wife right now to ask her the name of the, I got a horrible memory, but. So um, when you go to this place, what do you order? Uh, well, we buy it in town when it's available, but it sells out all the time. I, I want to say Homestead. Uh, you know what? Don't quote me on that. I'm going to ask her what it is because I'm horrible with that, but it's super, super Oh, the good. beans, you mean? Yeah, well, it's it's called Homestead Roastery or something. Okay. It's in, it's in, well, it's in Naramata. I'm going to look it up, and I'm going to correct myself after this because I can't yeah. remember the name of it, but I actually wanted to call them up and have them on the podcast because the coffee is so damn good. I want to know what they're doing. Oh. But, uh, See, I'm wheeling through. We'll have to stop and grab a coffee. I'm wheeling through your neck of the woods to visit Jen, and then on oh, my cool. way, hopefully, to Vancouver Island bear hunting. When are you coming uh, through? In late May, um, like mid mid May, mid to late. Perfect. May. You know so, what? Sixteenth, I think. Chronomids are popping. Then we get in some big. Oh, trout. dude, I would love you to show me how to fish yeah, chronomids. Let's better. do it. Yeah. Well, no, let's right. make it happen. You got my number. All right. I'd um, love that. Have you had anything weird or wonderful happen to you in your time on the water over the years? Like, uh, I, you know, we've all got mm. crazy fish stories or wildlife stories, but is, is anything come to mind that's like, you're not going to believe this, but this actually really happened? Yeah, I do, actually. I was fishing a little creek by my uncle's cabin um, at, on Souk. So it's a coastal creek. Okay. Um, I, it was oof, It was 20 years ago now. And it was just sort of medieval. I don't know, like you fish those coastal creeks and they get dark real quick, right? The minute you get off the beach, they start getting dark and dank and moist. And, and you know, like uh, it always reminds me of like, you know, a, a Disney, the evil queen living in, in <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. And so I was back in this and I was a little sort of nervous. I mean, I knew what lives on that island that can eat you. and uh, And sure enough, a black bear sort of walked down so i was back in that creek maybe a mile mile and a half off the beach so i was a good ways away from anybody and uh, this big tank of a black bear 
uh, walked down the creek and I didn't know what to do. Um, I've spent a lot of time, you know, really close to big black bears with a bow in my hand. But this was the first time that I've done that without anything. And right. he walked past me like I could have touched him with the end of my fly rod. So, oh. and yeah, it was pretty cool. He knew I was there too, but he didn't care. And huh. he was just walking down the river towards the beach. So I guess he was going down to do some foraging, you know, um, on the beach. Right. So that yeah. was pretty cool. That is cool. What about you? Anything interesting? Oh, with you? we've had some weird stuff. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm on that bear theme right now. I'm thinking like for me personally, black bears, I've never had an issue with black bears. We don't have a lot of grizzlies around here. I think grizzlies might be a different story, but I always worry about cougars for some reason. I've been, oh, I've yeah. been, I'll tell you a funny story. So when I was learning to hunt, I was pretty young. I was probably, I don't know, 18. And I was into bow hunting. I thought, if I'm going to hunt, I want to bow hunt. So yeah. I bought this. At the time, it was a compound bow. Buddy's using recurve and all this. I'm just like, no, I, that's that's a little too too old school for me. i got to figure it out first. So I, I, I bought this 3D um, decoy deer, and we target practice. And I thought, okay, I'm ready. So like an idiot, I decide, the first thing I'm going to do is I want to see if I can get a coyote. <laughs> Oh, cool. Now, now, don't ask me why. So I buy this wounded <laughs> rabbit. That's ra- a weird one, Mark. Oh, it's I'm, I'm a bit odd. So I buy a wounded rabbit call from the yeah. from the hunting fishing shop oh. I work at. And, oh, and yeah. on my own, with no experience, I hike into this ground blind that had set up in the middle of nowhere. So I'm sitting there blowing on this wounded rabbit call. There's about um, a foot of snow. So this was in, I want to say oh, it was no. like maybe early December. And all of a sudden, exactly where this I, is going. Oh man, I still have nightmares about this. So I, I see this coyote coming at me, and I'm like, "Cool, he's coming in." So so I get ready. I got my bow, and then I hear this noise. I look behind me. There's another coyote coming in, and I look to my left. Huh. There's another coyote coming in, and what? there was four of them. There was four of them coming at me simultaneous. Not a word of a lie, and they weren't that far away. And I'm like, "Holy crap! I I don't even think I could hit the broadside of a barn." <laughs> So, so I stood up and just started making noise because I'm like, and they ran off, thank God. But they could have had an e- an easy meal. But do you know what? Do you know what freaked me out the most is so when I left, inside every one of my footprints in the snow, walking back to my truck was a cougar track. So yeah, the I whole time I was being tracked, and I'm just like, that's probably the stupidest thing I've ever done. But it was um. Well. It shows you how you're part of nature, and 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 don't mess with it, because uh, yeah. it'll mess with you. <laughs> so just... Well, that's now you know if you don't have dogs, right? I I've killed I killed a cougar once with a self bow that I built out of a piece of vine maple and a rose wild rose shaft arrow and a napped head, and and when I shot this cougar, it ju- literally jumped over my head because it, it was up in a tree. Wow. And, but he had dogs, and uh, hmm. but that's without dogs, that's the way you hunt cougars is predator calling them it's supposed yeah. to be pretty effective so well yeah, i can yeah. tell you it, it seemed it to was work. but that they're so elusive i never saw the cat but there was no mm. doubt it was a cougar track and it just kind of you know when you get the goosebumps and you're like okay, oh yeah the sun's coming up because it was i went in there in the dark when it came out it was light i'm like hmm <laughs> Did you, guess. Mark, did you buy one of those masks that they wear in India, where you wear it on the back of your head? That... No. <laughs> no, I, no, I didn't. The rest, of the, the rest of the fall, Mark was walking around <laughs> with the mask on the back of his head. Oh, I just, I, uh, I, I laugh at that because we, we did some stupid things growing up. But anyway, <laughs> um, good stuff. Have, have you ever ate cougar? 
dude, my, you didn't ask me what my favorite venison was that bar none, but like whatever the terminology you want to use for lockdown guarantee of the best venison you can eat is cougar. Um, really? So we killed this cougar and I brought it home, of course, cause I'm not going to waste it. And, uh, I was dreading eating it. I was like, what the hell yeah. am I going to do with Predator. this cougar meat? Like this is not going to be good. Right. And, um, so as chance would have it, uh, there was a community wild game dinner, uh, like a potluck dinner. And, uh, so I thought, here's my chance to get rid of most of this cougar meat. And so I made up, you know, about 18 pounds of, uh, sweet and sour, uh, <laughs> cougar. Right. And <laughs> that just sounds weird. I take, oh dude, I took it to, yeah, exactly. And then I took it to this wild game dinner. It was the only thing that came to my mind to do with it. Right. Like, what, what sauce can I drench this meat in, you know, to make the taste go away that I know it's going to taste like. But when I was cooking it, I noticed something, how clean it was. It was pork. It was just like veal right. Right. crossed with pork and um, cooked it um, sort of low and slow in this sauce and uh, and then drenched some sweet and sour sauce over it. Hmm. And, and, oh, it was to die for. And so, yeah, I've only ever shot one cougar in my life, and I wish I could shoot them every year because they taste great. Yeah. You know what's funny? If you were to ask me the best meat I've actually ever had, I got to admit, it's probably bear. Um, oh, yeah. Is, just like yeah. eating ham. I mean, I was thinking the other day yeah. we had for, for Easter, we had ham. And uh, every time I have ham, I think of, of, of just about any bear I've ever had. It's it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's definitely a pork sort of vibe to it, but uh, you know, it's a red meat too, which is weird. But yeah, anything that you can do with pork, you can do with bear for sure, including bacon and ham and all that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah so, one of my favorites too. So, what's on the agenda for you this year? You say you're coming out, you're coming out a little further west to uh, sounds like do a little fishing, and um, I mean, have you got uh, any most tri- trips, yeah. trips planned this year? Or? Yeah, well, a few. I mean, from the wild, we do a few fly fishing trips every summer. So we've found a good, a few good spots here with some research. And so we're heading back to those spots. Season seven is just starting to come out now. And so last summer, we did a couple of episodes fly fishing that just turned out spectacular. Mm. So that'll be coming up. Um, and to watch those episodes, you go to fromthewild.ca. And uh, okay. And Kevin can hook you up there with episodes. Um, and so we'll be doing more of the same of that this year. Of course, coming up here in May is bear hunting. So we'll do an episode, as we always do, of bear hunting here in Alberta. And bear hunting here in Alberta is a little tougher. And then, because um, uh, we do spot and stock, we don't do any baiting. And uh, right. then I'm headed out to the island. A friend of mine who lives on the island is just a bear hunting guru and has this a few spots inland on the island that are producing you know bears like crazy and again i'm not there trophy hunting but he showed me some pictures of some absolute tanks um that would be hard to pass up but i am going for a meat outcome so i I don't really care um uh and then uh, yeah yukon trip but uh for grayling another friend of mine lives up in the yukon who you know we've been bugging each other back and forth to do that um and then i you know who knows all of those trips are up in the air we've been trying to get up to yeah. the eastern arm on great slave lake for the last two years now and things just happened last year of course and right. they don't look like they're going well this year either so i don't know 
Yeah. How about you? Any trips planned? Um, well, I always do a trip locally in uh, May or June, depending. Uh, this year, I think we're going to do the Caribou. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So just, just for a What change. is that, Highway 22? Yeah. Is that the famous highway? Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. there's some great lakes up there for sure. Oh, gosh. And, yeah. uh, I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm not far from Kamloops. So between, mm-hmm. you know, the Okanagan Valley, the Cam- Kamloops area, the Merritt region, Thompson, Nicola, there, there's so many still waters. Like, I'm primarily um, fly fishing lakes. That's kind of my, yeah, my see, wheelhouse. That's interesting. I would love to fish with you because I know zero about that. I don't do it here because all the lakes here are, are put and take. Right. And I just, it doesn't interest me really. Um, so we always hit the moving water. And I guess that's my comfort zone, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, hey, I don't know that I would know how to catch a fish on still water. Don't get me wrong. I can watch if, some YouTube videos. If we had more rivers here, I'd be fishing them. I mean, every single moving water here we have, I hit pretty hard. But um, yeah. it's a short season. It's such, you know, because it gets so hot yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. we're basically desert country. So all of a sudden those, uh, yeah. you go from low flows to, to epic runoff and then back yeah. to extremely low flows again. So it, it doesn't mm-hmm. suit itself well. We don't have those mm-hmm. steady flows that, uh, like the bow S- would have. Or springs. S- yeah. yeah, exactly. No, no spring creeks and whatnot. So, yeah. um, yeah. you fish what you know, and, and there's no bad yeah, yeah. fishing. And the thing I like, you know, John, about the, uh, the still water is there's always, there's room. So, you know, if you, if you're on your favorite uh, stretch of the bow, or if you're on your favorite stretch of whatever river, the elk, yeah. chances are there's other people on it. So w- yeah. when you hit a lake, you know, some of these lakes are fairly big. There could be 15 people on it, but you may never really see anybody, you know, you, yeah. you, you know, yeah. so I, I kind of like that. And you're out in a boat for the most part? Or yeah, what, we're what fishing doing? out of um, uh, wide bottom uh, punts, like, uh, you know, nine, mm, ten yeah. foot. Um, uh, shoot, word's not coming to me, but basically just flat, wide. John boats. Thank you. That's the word I yeah. wanted. John boats. Duck boats. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you oh, know, nice and stable. Smaller waters for the most part, but uh, usually double anchored, lots of chronomid fishing, lots of leech patterns. And yeah, well, oh, cool. you, give me a shout, man. I I got I got a couple spots out here that we could have some fun. So, Oh, dude, I'll be bugging you for sure when I sweep through there. Yeah. Do it. I hope you do. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. you know, I think we cover a lot of ground tonight. I, I this is um this is a different uh, kind of take for me, and I'm I'm trying to get a little bit outside of the box. And when I uh, <laughs> when when we touch base on the uh, on the platform there uh, the other night, shoot clubhouse, clubhouse, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a good conversation, and and that group is is pretty cool. So um, if you guys, yeah yeah they were yeah if you guys are uh, into fly fishing, check out um fly fishing club on clubhouse uh every uh thursday night at seven mountain that's where um john found us and john i i appreciate what you're doing with your podcast and and what you're doing with your life man it's very inspirational to me so i I appreciate you taking the time tonight oh well thanks mark thanks for the compliments i really appreciate it and thanks for having me on i'm gonna keep enjoying your show for sure love it love what you're doing too Cheers. I appreciate it. We've been chatting tonight with John Schneider. John has the Food Afield podcast. Check him out. All the usual uh, places, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, he's uh, just north of Edmonton. He um, he works with the guys from, from the wild. 
uh, Wild TV. You can find that. Uh, he's been bow hunting for more than 40 years. And he his show basically is about traditional bow hunting, fly fishing, foraging, and cooking. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.